Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Tonight, straight from the source, Ferragamo, an adult website, and Botox. A scathing new report says that George Santos misspent thousands of his donors' dollars, and tonight the calls are growing for him to be expelled from Congress. Plus, the Israeli military says it has recovered the body of a hostage near the Al-Shifa hospital, also releasing new video that it says shows a tunnel shaft inside Gaza's largest medical center. We'll go one-on-one with a top U.S. official in moments. And why has Osama bin Laden's two-decade-old manifesto justifying 9-11 gone viral on TikTok? And more importantly, why are some young Americans sympathizing with it? I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Indicted Congressman George Santos now says he won't be running for re-election next year, but re-election may have been the least of his troubles. Tonight, he could be facing even more legal jeopardy. The House Ethics Committee has just referred its new findings on Santos to the Justice Department. The report finds, quote, substantial evidence of additional uncharged, unlawful conduct by the New York Republican. The committee suggests that more crimes were committed than the 23 that Santos was already charged with. I should note, he has pleaded not guilty to those. The report finds that Santos, quote, blatantly stole from his campaign and those funds to pay for his own personal expenses. Here's what that report says that he bought. Nearly $3,000 worth of Botox, purchases at Hermes and Ferragamo, Sephora, taxi and hotel charges in Las Vegas during the time when the congressman told his staff he was on his honeymoon and also, quote, smaller purchases from the website OnlyFans. If you're watching and you don't know what that is, don't Google it on your work computer. Just trust me. Santos called the report biased and a, quote, disgusting, politicized smear. The ethics committee, I should note, did not subpoena him as part of this investigation, but the reason they gave was partly because he is a serial liar, and they said his testimony would have had low evidentiary value. Santos did admit to CNN earlier this month that he had made some errors on his financial filings. Were there mistake made on those forms? I'm, now I know they were. Uh, was I, were they malicious? No. Did I understand reporting dates? So oh, this is from last year to current date this year. No, I didn't. I didn't understand how that worked. And I'm a new candidate, and I'm sorry that like mistakes were made. He is sorry that mistakes were made. Well, the ethics committee found that they were much more than mistakes. And now the question is, what will his colleagues think? A number of House Republicans have indicated they will vote to expel Santos when that vote comes up again, having previously not supported it enough to at least remove him from Congress. But many were waiting for this report from the Ethics Committee. So far, at least 10 Republicans who voted against it last time now say they would vote for it. I'm joined now by Santos's fellow New York Republican Congressman, Mike Lawler. Congressman, what do you think? Do you think George Santos is ultimately kicked out of Congress? Oh, no question. Uh, you know, 
He is a serial liar uh, who, uh, with the report uh, now out, uh, is proven to be a serial liar. And, you know, everything that I and many of my uh, colleagues from New York have said for months uh, has borne out. And I think it is time, uh, long past time, for George Santos to go. If he had any dignity or decency, uh, he would have resigned yesterday. Uh, but uh, obviously we'll see. Uh, between now and the time we get back, whether or not he uh, pleads guilty uh, or resigns uh, or both, uh, and uh, whether or not we obviously have to come back and expel him. Uh, I bet the votes are there uh, when we get back. You think the votes will be there. If there's a Republican tonight who's on the fence and doesn't know which way to vote, what would you say to them? This isn't about party. Uh, this is about country. It's about the institution. Uh, and uh, anyone who is serving in public office uh, needs to uh, hold themselves, uh, and we need to hold them to a higher standard. Uh, George Santos has defrauded the voters. He defrauded donors. He defrauded the NRCC. Uh, his treasurer pleaded guilty about a month ago. A staffer uh, pled guilty just this week to impersonating Kevin McCarthy's chief of staff uh, on a phone call with donors uh, to try and defraud them of, of money. Uh, and obviously, he misused uh, campaign funds, uh, including uh, paying for you know shopping sprees at Ferragamo and Hermes and uh, including a subscription to OnlyFans. I, I mean, it's absolutely absurd. Uh, it is, uh, you know, would would be like an episode of Veep, uh, and if it, and it would be funny if it wasn't so sad and pathetic. It's yeah, it's funny except it's not because it's disturbing. I mean, I'm assuming you were elected at the same time that he was. I'm assuming you knew you're not supposed to spend your campaign money on that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, that goes without saying, uh, you know. Look, I, I think uh, campaign funds are meant to be used to get your message out uh, to the voters, to help elect you uh, to public office. They're not meant to be used for personal uh, gain uh, in any way. Uh, and, you know, obviously, at the end of the day, uh, this is about the public trust. This is about uh, the people that we represent being able to trust that we have their best interests at heart. And when you see episodes like this, when you see individuals like this who get elected uh, to Congress, uh, it demeans the office, it demeans the institution, uh, and it really does break the public trust. So I think this is far bigger than party, it's far bigger than politics, uh, and it's time for him to go. Well, given that, we heard from Speaker Mike Johnson today. He says he's troubled by the report, but he didn't explicitly call for Santos to resign. Do you think that Speaker Johnson should? Look, I'll let the speaker uh, speak for himself. Uh, I have said repeatedly that George Santos needs to resign. Uh, I called on him to resign uh, going back to the beginning of the year. Uh, I called on him to resign when he was indicted. Uh, I uh, joined my New York colleagues in putting an expulsion resolution on the floor uh, and voted to expel him. Uh, he needs to go. Uh, and I think after this ethics report came out today, uh, the sentiments I have heard from uh, many of my colleagues, including those that were waiting for uh, a level of due process here, is that he's got to go. But Speaker Johnson, I mean, he's the leader of your party, and you're saying that party, that 
politics should not be put over that here. Don't you think that that means, you know, the leader should call on him to, to step aside? Well, I think the speaker uh, said in his statement uh, that, you know, we need to put the institution uh, above all else. And so I think, uh, you know, I would I would read between the lines there that George Santos uh, needs to go. Uh, and if he's unwilling uh, to, uh, you know, show a little bit of decency and dignity here uh, and resign, uh, then he needs to be expelled. And I expect uh, that when we get back from the Thanksgiving recess, if he is still a member of Congress, uh, there will be a privilege resolution brought to the floor uh, and he will be expelled. Congressman Mike Lawler, it is something that you have been saying for quite some time now. Thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Caitlin. Of course, in light of this damning new report, George Santos does still represent more than 770,000 Americans in the 3rd District of New York. Many of them had some thoughts on the allegations. He lied to everybody. We deserve better. And we definitely need some fresh blood, somebody who's going to be ethical. It's wrong. You know, I mean, we need honesty. George Santos? Ugh. Our CNN senior political analyst, John Avalon, is here. I mean, John, I know how much you love history. Yeah. So I have a little fun fact for oh, you. Oh, good. Because if he is expelled, as Congressman Lawler just predicted his mm. colleagues will expel George Santos, he'd be the only member in U.S. history to ever be expelled from Congress who has not been convicted in court, who is not fighting in the Confederacy. <laughs> we got to put a finer point on that. I mean, my, my grandparents were from Youngstown, Ohio, so they remember Jim Traficant very unfondly uh, <laughs> when that went down. And look, I think the, the objections up to this point have been a question of precedent. Um, but folks have been waiting for this report. This report is as damning and detailed as the indictments he's already faced. And it's just so pathetic and so tawdry. You know, Mike Lawler there, New York Republican, wants him to resign along with others because he's a stain on them. But when he calls for, you know, country over party, 100 percent. When he starts expecting anything resembling decency or, or uh, integrity will, will surface in the, in the you know, frame of George Santos, good luck. Ain't going to happen. Not in the same zip code. And I think when you look through this 55, 56 page report today, they included an exhibit where his campaign staff, they knew that there was something going on with him. They created this vulnerability report where they basically had all of the reasons and questions that they had. <sighs> they urged him to resign or to step out of the race. He didn't. The three of them resigned. I mean, so the signs were there. They weren't obvious, obviously, but... They weren't, and it's because he'd run previously and he'd lost by a lot, and people didn't think the race would be competitive. The North Shore leader raised questions about his finances, but we didn't know how bad it was. We didn't know it was predicated entirely upon a fraud, and a fraud he perpetrated on his constituents, on the voters for, of Long Island in Nassau County. And I think the larger step back is this is partly a downstream effect of Donald Trump. If you're concerned about fraud, if you're concerned about serially lying, well, then it's not just George Santos, because it's, it's frankly Donald Trump who turned shamelessness into a political superpower, who made people feel that lying was somehow table stakes for politics. Politicians should be held to a higher standard. It should be an honorable profession. Those are the kind of sentiments that Lawler's drawing on as an argument for expulsion. Yeah. Um, but it's the larger culture that's created and enabled this absurd figure. And maybe it'll take this to remind people that those tributes should not be tolerated in our politics. Well, and everyone deserves due process. But I mean, we, it's not just Republicans. Senator Menendez obviously yes, is facing a levy of indictment charges, and he, he's remaining in the U.S. Congress. Well, equal justice under law. Republic, Democrats have been calling on Senator Menendez to resign. 
uh, and not just from his home state because it makes him look bad. Republicans calling on Santos to resign. That's actually a return to the kind of politics we see where parties, people in parties are willing to police their own outliers. You know, they're not willing to defend the indefensible simply because of the party label by their name. That's what we've seen too much of in our politics. What happens if he doesn't resign? And if they don't, I mean, they need about 50 Republicans, totally mm -hmm. more than what voted the last time to actually expel him from Congress. They're not there yet based on our numbers. We'll right. see if it changes after the break. But what happens if he doesn't get expelled and he doesn't resign? He stays there. I think it'll just he will symbolize uh, the, the stain on the Congress and it'll be ashamed of the Republican Party. He'll be ostracized. He says he's not going to run for re-election again, flipping what he told our colleague Manu Raju not that long ago. Weeks ago. Weeks ago. Um, but look, the only reason to keep him in the Congress isn't a question of precedent now. It, it's really just a question of whether Republicans want to win other minority, you know, uh, their majority to an even thinner, thinner number. But that's not a good enough reason. You know, they got to apply certain basic standards. And then it's not just about George Sanders. It's applying those standards more broadly. And if your problem is with lying, with fraud, um, with, with degrading the truth uh, and, and skimming off your donors and spending on these ridiculous details. Well, apply those standards forward. John Avalon. Thanks. We know that you would never do that. Never. Ahead, Israel has released new images tonight to back up its claims. They say Hamas has been using a major hospital as a command center. Hamas is calling that a baseless lie. I should note, we're going to have the White House spokesman John Kirby here to break it all down next. Also, he has been dead for more than a decade, but why is Osama bin Laden going viral on TikTok? Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Tonight, Israel's military says it has proof of Hamas's tunnel infrastructure below Gaza's largest hospital. This video that you're seeing here was released by the IDF a day after they raided the Al-Shifa complex. At one point in the video, which I note has been geolocated by CNN, it shows one of the hospital's main buildings about 100 feet away. This is a big area, a big complex. I should note CNN cannot verify the IDF's findings. We've been unable to get a comment from hospital authorities since this video was released. Doctors and health officials in the Hamas-run enclave have denied these accusations from Israel. The IDF also says that their troops found large stashes of weapons and ammunition. They also announced that they have recovered the body of an Israeli hostage near the hospital. Israel says that Hamas killed Yudit V.S., a 65-year-old grandmother. It's not clear how she died tonight, though we do know she was kidnapped from Kibbutz Beri on October 7th. Her husband was also killed in that attack. Also, Israel is now pointing to these new details as it's facing growing pressure to provide evidence of Hamas's command center at that hospital. The United States says it does have intelligence to back up that claim. And for more on that, I am joined now by John Kirby, the White House National Security Council spokesman. Admiral Kirby, thank you for being here. Does the U.S. plan to release any evidence that it has that this Al-Shifa hospital was being used as a sprawling Hamas command center, as you've said? 
I don't have any plans uh, to speak to you tonight with respect to release of uh, our own intelligence, but I can assert, as the president did yesterday, that our own intelligence analysis does corroborate the claim that Hamas was using that hospital as a command and control node, probably also to store am ammunition, uh, other weapons, uh, and of course as a potential temporary housing location for some of their fighters. But John, you know as well as I do that there's skepticism over this. The U.S. says it has this intelligence. Israel says it has this intelligence. But neither side is showing evidence of that intelligence. And obviously people in the U.S. have long been skeptical of claims about U.S. intelligence at times. Wouldn't it be helpful and important to, to build confidence in these assessments to show that evidence? Well, the IDF is doing that. They're, they're releasing imagery. Uh, they're releasing video. Uh, they're they're walking through the hospital and, and showing uh, through camera coverage uh, what what they're finding. Um, again, I, I don't have any uh, plans to speak to tonight about uh, release of any U.S. intelligence, uh, but it is but it, but it is solid intelligence that in fact Hamas was using the hospital in that way, and it's right out of their playbook, Caitlin. I mean, uh, they they routinely try to put civilians in harm's way by tunneling under their homes and headquartering in hospitals and schools. Um, they deliberately try to use the innocent people of Gaza as human shields. And so this is, this is right out of their playbook. Well, I should note what Israel has shown is part of a tunnel shaft, and they've shown you know, guns and other things that they found in the hospital, not this sprawling complex that they alleged it was when they showed that 3D mock-up. But, but John, based on what the U.S. does know, do you believe that the raid on Al-Shifa Hospital was justified? We know that uh, that uh, this was a this was a tough dilemma for the Israelis, Caitlin. I mean, um, we know that that Hamas was using that hospital. We know they were uh, commanding control of their of their forces out of there, at least some of their forces out of there. Uh, but we also know it's a hospital, a working hospital with patients and medical staff and even young children. Uh, and so it's a tough dilemma for the Israeli forces. Uh, you, you, on one hand, you, you want to be able to eliminate a very viable, very critical threat to your own country. On the other hand, you've got this added burden of, of protecting people. And as we've said, we don't want to see hospitals uh, as firefight locations. We don't want to see them as battlegrounds. Uh, it is a violation of the law of war that Hamas would headquarter itself inside a hospital. And again, it puts that extra burden uh, on the Israeli forces to do so in as precise and careful uh, a way as possible. Uh, they have gone in on the ground. Uh, they have gone in in, in small numbers uh, to try to be as careful as possible. But obviously, we're going to stay in touch with them and make sure that, uh, that and urge them as much as we can to, to, to be careful and deliberate and to not uh, place those patients and those medical staff in any greater harm's way than Hamas has already placed them in. The IDF said today that the body of a 65-year-old hostage, an Israeli woman, was found near Al-Shifa in this complex. Do you know, John, if any American hostages were being held there? No, I, we don't have any information to confirm that. Um, we're still working very, very closely with the Israelis to, to get more information about uh, where all the hostages are. And I think we have to assume that they're not all in one place. Um, we know there's still a small number of Americans, and, and we're still doing everything we can to try to gather more information about them. But no, I can't confirm that they may have been held at Al-Shifa. I don't know that. You're in San Francisco with the president now, John. We've seen in recent days protest over President Biden's refusal to call for a ceasefire. Last night, the Democratic National Committee had to be evacuated. You saw these pro-Palestinian protesters outside, very tense clashes. Have those protests moved President Biden's position at all? 
Well, first, we're very sorry that that protest outside the DNC turned violent. Um, our thoughts are with uh, the officers who were injured and hope for, the, hope for a, a speedy recovery. Uh, peaceful protest is one thing, but when it turns violent and, and somebody gets hurt, that's unacceptable. And we've been very clear about condemning that kind of activity. The president understands, Caitlin, that there's strong feelings here on all sides with respect to what's going on between Israel and Hamas. But he also believes and continues to believe that now is not the time for a ceasefire. A ceasefire would simply validate what Hamas did on October 7th, and it would give them breathing space and time. What we do support and what we have talked to our Israeli counterparts about are a series of humanitarian pauses. And you've seen yourself and reported on that fact that they, they have now put in place regularized humanitarian pauses. They originally announced them for four hours, but in the recent days they've actually expanded them, sometimes by two or three hours, to allow civilians to get out of North Gaza through safe corridors. And many, uh, Gaza, many people of Gaza are taking them up on that. That's a good, important step forward to help protect civilian life, to get those folks out of harm's way so that they're not in the crossfire between Hamas and the IDF. And Admiral Colbert, obviously, you used to work at the Pentagon. What we have seen happen in recent days, there have been at least 57 attacks on U.S. forces by pro-Iranian militias since this war began. We've seen the U.S. carry out multiple retaliatory strikes. Are, do you believe that they're working? It doesn't appear that they are, given these attacks are continuing. We'll, we'll keep doing what we have to do, Caitlin, to protect our troops uh, and our facilities in Iraq and Syria. They're there for a counter-ISIS mission, which is still a viable mission. Uh, they, they have come under additional attack. We will continue uh, to take the actions we need to protect them and protect their ability to continue to go after ISIS. And our message to the groups and to the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guard Corps that is supporting them, is you need to stop these attacks. They're unacceptable. And if you don't, then there will be additional consequences for you. But will they be anything different than what we've seen, given it, the deterrent strikes have not deterred the attacks so far? If the attacks continue, we will respond at a time and in a manner of our choosing. You've seen us uh, just in recent days uh, go right at targets that were tied to the Revolutionary Guard Corps, to their facilities where they were training, headquartering, where they were uh, uh, storing ammunition and some of these rockets and, uh, and, and other materials that were used by these, uh, by these militia groups. Uh, we will continue to hold the IRGC and these proxy groups uh, accountable if they continue to attack our troops uh, in Iraq and Syria. Admiral John Kirby, as always, thank you for joining us here. Good to be with you. Up next, a CNN exclusive, the Department of Education now looking into reported incidents of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia at seven schools here in the U.S. The first such investigations that we have seen happen since that October 7th terror attack in Israel. The schools are spread across the country. They include one K-12 school in Kansas, six colleges, including Cornell, Columbia, and Wellesley. At the conclusion of that investigation, we are told the Department of Education will make recommendations to those schools, and if they're not followed, they could risk losing federal funding. Also tonight, two decades after 9-11, Osama bin Laden's justification for the attacks has resurfaced on social media, with some young Americans sympathizing with him. Yes, really. We'll talk about this disturbing TikTok trend but the last Western journalist to actually interview bin Laden is here next. Videos online focusing on a letter that was written by Osama bin Laden have now racked up millions of views in just a matter of days, with dozens of them showing young Americans expressing sympathy for the Al-Qaeda leader. Yes, you heard me right, sympathy. 
This is a letter that was published a year after the September 11th attacks by the terrorist who orchestrated it. And it went viral on TikTok with, TikTok with users embracing parts of his message. That message from bin Laden, a broad critique of American foreign policy, defending 9-11, attempting to justify targeting and killing U.S. citizens. It's also filled with anti-Semitic tropes and conspiracies. The premise, for the most part, of these videos is criticism of American support for Israel in this ongoing war with Hamas. TikTok says that the videos promoting that letter violate their platform's rules against supporting any form of terrorism. Many of the posts have now been removed. We also even heard the White House weighing in on this today, telling CNN that the videos are an insult to the victims of the terror attacks. Joining me now is the last Western journalist to actually interview Osama bin Laden, CNN's chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst, John Miller. John, my question here is how does the how's the intelligence community treating something like this? Are they trying to figure out if these are bots, if this is a foreign government, if this is real? I mean, how do they look at the popularity of these videos? So all of the above, because they're trying to figure out this drove very far and very fast. You know, 48 hours ago, this unfolds with uh, a TikTok influencer. She posts uh, a recording of somebody's reaction to the letter, and that's kind of the first we see of it. But you want to kind of go back to where is the digital crime scene? Where did this begin? And then how did it move that way? Um, she has 175,000 followers. It gets 800,000 views. It gets 80,000 likes, which when you're talking about a letter from bin Laden justifying 9-11, calling for the destruction of Israel, the violent overthrow of the United States, and repeating every anti-Semitic trope um, in the staple set, is unusual to see that. But then it spreads to, according to the New York Times uh, tonight, 14.2 million views and shares. So um, they're trying to figure out, is there something else behind it driving this snowball downhill um, as it got bigger? Is it a bot? Is it an AI feature um, that, you know, caused um, it to move faster or wider? Because they pretty similar language. If you watched the videos, a lot of them were young people. They all were kind of saying, you know, I just discovered this and I can't believe what it said. It's and an now it's changed my whole existential shift. Um, you know, it yeah. changed my whole view of America and terrorism. It was if they were going through a script, um, which yeah. is something that they have to look at, which is... Are they just playing off what the last person they viewed said um, and they're unoriginal or is it something more than that? And the other part of this is that the platform itself, it's TikTok. They've long been accused of you know, being a home to anti-Semitism and allowing that to kind of fester. They've pushed back on that. But when you look at the numbers here, uh, one third of Americans, 18 through 29, get their news from TikTok. And a lot of the potential you know, viewers of this or the people who are putting it out, they weren't even born when 9-11 happened. I think a key to this, you know, on the social media, on the social phenomenon side, a key to this is a complete lack of context by someone who has shown something and then told to join in the conversation and simply repeats what they heard five seconds ago. Uh, not very sophisticated. Uh, but the other question is, what's the effect this is having? The intelligence community assessment today is, we're seeing this now being repeated on Al-Qaeda channels saying, uh, Sheikh Osama's letter is now being viewed by millions of Americans oh, they're touting this. who are finally understanding what this is about and what our brothers in Hamas are going through. It's also, and this is the one that kind of knocked me back, it's also being the letter, 
is being posted now in right-wing violent extremist accelerationist channels where anti-Semitism is their normal flavor, saying, you know, this guy actually gets it. Um, and can we just talk about the person who wrote this letter? I mean, the, the idea that people are sympathizing with him. I mean, you were the last Western journalist to actually interview Osama bin Laden. For If any young TikTok users are watching who, who saw this video, I mean, what would you say? How would you talk about that interview? How would you describe it? You know, there are things in that letter that are thematic to the things he told me that night, um, you know, in a Al-Qaeda base in 1998, which he said, you know, I predict a black day for America, after which the states will no longer be united. He was encouraging a revolution. Uh, he said, we beat a superpower before, the Russians and the Soviet Union fell when we forced them out of Afghanistan. But he also said, and this is thematic to his letter, you know, you will only understand this as a people when you find a government that represents your interest instead of that of the Jews. Um, the anti-Semitic theme from Osama bin Laden started, you know, long before mm -hmm. the world discovered, rediscovered this letter. Um, but it's echoed in there. Yeah. A disturbing trend. John Miller, thank you. Thanks. Ahead, it did not take long, only a few hours after Donald Trump's gag order was lifted here in New York and he returned to social media attacking the very person he was barred from attacking. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Well, that didn't take long. Tonight online, Donald Trump is attacking the clerk of the judge who is overseeing his civil fraud trial here in New York. But this time, he won't face any repercussions, no fines or reprimands from the judge here. That's because Trump is posting just three and a half hours after a New York appeals court judge temporarily lifted the gag order that barred the former president and his attorneys from bashing court staff. Among other things, Trump has called her a politically biased and out-of-control Trump-hating clerk. Of course, I should note there is no evidence of that. The judge has steadfastly defended her as a public servant, just doing her job here. You'll recall he put this order in place after Trump had denigrated the clerk the first time. The judge then fined Trump for breaking that order, then extended it to his attorneys, and then fined Trump again for breaking it. The gag order is now lifted until at least November 27th when a full panel of appeals court judges can actually hear this matter. Former federal prosecutor and CNN legal analyst Jen Rogers is here. Jen, what do you make of the fact that they lifted this, this gag order just temporarily, but do you think it is that pretty standard? It is. It doesn't mean much, actually. You know, you want to keep the status quo in place until the judges can hear it on the merits. And here the status quo is nobody stopped from doing anything that they may have a right to do. So that's why they put a temporary pause on it. And then the judges will consider the merits of it and decide whether it holds up or not. What I was thinking of and the Trump argument has been this violates his First Amendment's right, Amendment rights. That's why, you know, this was even before a court. But the judge, when he put this in place, said he was, you can attack me all you want, but he was worried about the safety of his staff. This is his principal law clerk. And so now Trump is free to attack her at will on social media. 
Yeah, I mean, he doesn't really have a leg to stand on, I don't think. I mean, I think the appeals court will uphold the gag order because he's still free to say basically anything he wants. It's a witch hunt. The AG is after me. The judge is after me. This is all the Biden administration, you know, whatever nonsense. As long as he doesn't identify and target the law clerk, that's really the only thing he's prohibited from doing. It's really narrowly drawn. So I think it will be in place after the judges consider it. The problem is, as you said, how many times will he attack her before that happens? Yeah, there's a lot of time between now and then. Uh, something else that I have a feeling, just a hunch, that he'll be also posting about is what we've learned tonight, which is that President Biden is not expected to be charged in the classified documents case. Of course, he had his own special counsel investigating documents that, that he took after he, he left office. But we are told it, there's a final report that's expected to be issued in the coming months. It is going to be critical, potentially, of how he handled those documents. What do you make of how that's resolved if if that reporting bears out? Yeah, so um, I think it's the right result. I mean, uh, the uh, Justice Department, Merrick Garland, appointed a Republican U.S. attorney appointed by Trump, a special counsel in this case, Robert Hur. So you can't allege any bias there. They took their time. Well, he shouldn't. He has no basis for it. Um, They took their time. They did a thorough investigation. And apparently they will be critical. And listen, there were classified documents that were found in places that were unsecured, right, where they shouldn't have been. So there should be some criticism of him. But there's no basis for criminal charges. Because at least from what we know, if this holds up in the report, no knowledge, no intent, full cooperation. In fact, it was Biden who brought to the attention of the authorities in the first place that there were classified documents. So, so very vast, different situation compared to Trump's. Really opposite. I mean, Trump's case, of course, knowledge, intent, he still to this day says he was entitled to have them. Fought with the National Archives for months, had to be, you know, have a search warrant executed by the FBI, uh, and then obstructed justice, allegedly, according to the indictment by Trump trying to destroy evidence when it came to light. The other thing I want to get your your legal take on is there's this other investigation. This is into Hunter Biden. and There's also a special counsel into that as well. And what we've learned exclusively here tonight is that the special counsel there is using a grand jury in California to compel uh, documents request, uh, testimony as well from potential witnesses. They've subpoenaed President Biden's brother, Jim Biden. How significant of an escalation is that, that he's using a grand jury now in California? Well, this is bad news, right, for Hunter Biden, who's already facing charges on the gun charge being an addict in possession of a firearm in Delaware. Uh, They were supposed to have him plead to misdemeanor tax charges in Delaware, but that fell through. So they're clearly now going after him again. I mean, you can't issue grand jury subpoenas without a grand jury. So obviously they're looking into it and probably trying to build a felony case against him. Uh, They don't need actually an indictment to file a misdemeanor. So if they just just wanted to go ahead and file those they could. So this suggests they're something looking for something serious. more. Exactly. Long way from that plea deal that they came so close to striking. Jennifer Rogers, as always, a lot of legal issues for you to break down. So thank you for doing that. Thanks, Caitlin. Meanwhile, as we talk about the 2024 race and what that looks like, Trump is still far and away the front runner in that race. But now someone is gaining on him, on him in the first primary state of New Hampshire. Nikki Haley is now in second place. What's behind that surge? We'll discuss with top political minds next. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley has now secured a second place position behind Donald Trump in a key 2024 primary state. CNN's latest poll in New Hampshire shows that Trump is still in the lead by a comfortable margin, but Haley has climbed eight points since September. And in Iowa, she's tied with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in second place at 16%. In her home state of South Carolina, she's ahead of DeSantis and again 
in that second place position behind Donald Trump. Two top campaign veterans are here to break down the numbers with us. Ashley Allison served as the National Coalition's director for the Biden-Harris campaign. David Urban, a former Trump campaign advisor. David, you're the Republican here, so let me start with you. Do you think that, that these numbers show that Nikki Haley is having a moment? Uh, look, she's definitely, she's had some good debate performances. And in, in, in a world that's it's desperately looking for an alternative to Donald Trump, I think her her star's definitely on the rise. And uh, yeah, so so it, she is having a moment. But do I think that moment's going to translate into her wrestling away the nomination from Donald Trump? N not a chance. Well, what about the sense, David, that she's, you know, which every other Republican in this race has, that they're kind of waiting in the wings, that if something happens to Trump with his legal issues or anything like that, yeah. that that's a position for them? No, I, listen, I, I think she's, she's you know, this is the, the strategy. We've talked about this before. You know, everybody's kind of waiting for Donald Trump to falter. And I think the only person that could beat Donald Trump is Donald Trump, right? You've seen some in these past couple of days where um, he has said some things that I think or I would, you know, advise him not to be saying, not to be uh, out there kind of beating that drum. Um, th those are the kind of things that will cost him the presidency. I think that if Donald Trump focused on the economy, on the border, on things that people care about at their homes and not about, you know, um, uh, political enemies list, I, I think he'd, he'd be a breeze to the presidency. Um, I think if he focuses on the wrong things, however, it's going to make it a much more competitive race. And so I, I think that, you know, the folks like Nikki Haley and uh, Governor Christie, who just had, uh, who's, who just ran some tape on, and, and all the other folks down the list, I think they're just waiting for Donald Trump to stumble. And I think none of them could trip him. I think he's going to have to stumble on his own. Yeah, if only Donald Trump would talk about the economy and immigration more. I feel like I've heard that before, David, maybe for the last, you know, six years. <laughs> Ashley, I'm curious what you think. I, because... I'm trying my best, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm just saying, it's like a movie we've seen before. Uh, Ashley, you, when you look at these numbers, and you talk to New Hampshire voters, they don't seem that concerned about Trump's electability. They seem, the Republican-leaning voters, they seem to think that he is electable. How does that square up with Nikki Haley's argument that if you look at the head-to-head matchups, that she is actually, she could beat Joe Biden based on where the polling is today? I think Nikki Haley is leaning into the concerned by many Americans that they are not looking forward to a Donald Trump and Joe Biden match. You know, but just to David's point about uh, Nikki Haley and could she beat Donald Trump, I don't know if anyone is going to be able to catch up to Donald Trump. But when I look at those numbers, if a Chris Christie or a Ron DeSantis were to drop out of those that race, Nikki Haley gets a whole lot closer to Donald Trump than anybody has been in the last eight years. And it is time, if the Republicans really don't want him to be the nominee, to pick someone and one person only to consolidate behind and see if their voters will follow that individual. Because it is clear that a substantial amount of people are starting to go away from Donald Trump. We know 35% of his base in the Republican Party are not going to leave him, but it is seeming like some of those other folks who are staying in the race a little longer are ticking away, but they need to consolidate to actually have a chance. David, what do you make of that argument? Do you think it would be helpful that she could actually be more competitive with Trump if the other people got out of the race? Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure that, you know, those like, you know, Ashley makes a good argument, right? It seems logical. If somebody gets out that those numbers, those, those people would shift automatically to 
the next person, you know, in, up, up the line. And but I, I'm not quite sure that's the case. I'm not quite sure that folks want want you know they they might switch over to Donald Trump. Who knows? I mean, that, that's, the, that's the unknowable here. And so until somebody decides to get out of the race, right, you're, we won't know that fact to be true. Um, it, it, one fact, you, you can add up the numbers on the other side and, and see, do they, do they beat Trump? They don't. Right? That's the, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy got out, Chris Christie got out, and Ron DeSantis got out, and you gave all those numbers to, to Nikki Haley. Doesn't she somehow magically, you know, beat Donald Trump in a head-to-head contest? That, that's not the case. And, uh, and, and, and I just don't think that's going to be the case moving forward, in, uh, whether it's in, in, uh, not in the caucus states, but, you know, in, in, in New Hampshire, South Carolina, or Nevada, any of the early primary states, I don't think you're going to see that happen. Ashley, does this change, given you know this current White House so well, does this change any of their thinking? Because they had kind of seemed resolved to the idea that it, the nominee is likely potentially going to be Donald Trump. Does this shift that at all, or do you think that they're still you know, preparing for a Trump-Biden rematch? It shouldn't shift it because the reality is, whether it's Donald Trump or Nikki Haley, they still have very similar viewpoints, or Ron DeSantis or Chris Christie, they have very similar viewpoints on issues that people really care about particularly when we just saw one on abortion. And so I think the messaging of the Democratic Party should be very clear that we are the party that wants to protect freedom. We are the party that wants to improve the quality of life for poor people and middle class folks. And we're the party that actually want to protect our democracy. And one way to do that is to protect our elections and actually acknowledge the winner of an election in 2020, which none of those folks, except with the exception of Chris Christie, has done. Ashley Allison. Yeah, but don't. don't. David, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say real quickly. Don't, don't, let, let's not forget Ashley's got a little inter interparty scrum on her side of the uh, on her side of the aisle, right? You see, we're talking about um, you uh, all last today. Night outside, <laughs> uh, okay, okay, but la- last night outside the DNC, last night outside the DNC, you saw some of that. I think it's going to play out more in the future. So, but thanks David, for, thanks and, for and, me. and yes, that did happen last night. But that's not the. You can't compare that to like January sixth, right? No, absolutely no, no, not. No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not. I'm not no, I'm not saying that's a January 6th comparison. I'm just saying that, okay. that, that you know, young people in the Democratic Party, there's a there's a huge shift right right now. You're seeing in all these uh, in, in polls and in 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 presence, you see people you know pulling away from the party. So, Ashley Allison, David Urban, as always, thank you both. Up next, Thanks. a Major League Baseball team is now, Major League Baseball is now making a major decision, a shift from something that they had decided, pulling out of a state a few years ago over a controversial law. We'll tell you more ahead. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.